Hello there, and welcome once again to Insight Peterborough. I'm Devin Wilkins. Insight Peterborough is a project of the Peterborough chapter of the Canadian Council of the Blind. And if you want to learn more about the CCB, all you have to do is send an email to ccbpeterborough at gmail.com. That's ccbpeterborough at gmail.com. Well, I was so pleased the other day to receive an email from a nonprofit organization called Greensaver, and they are in the business of conserving energy and introducing us to energy-saving products that uh, have been created recently. So I got the chance to chat with Michael Tomasi, who is uh, the head outreach um, coordinator, and uh, we chatted a little bit, and and, uh, I felt that what he has to say will really be of benefit to those of you who maybe would like to conserve energy, but you don't have the wherewithal to get and purchase energy-saving devices and that sort of thing. So here is the chat that I had with Michael. Well, good morning there, Michael, and welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having us, Devin. So tell us a little bit about uh, Save-On Energy. Yeah, so um, Save-On Energy um, is funded by the Independent Electricity System Operator, also known as the ISO, and they're our government regulator. Um, And the program is actually delivered province-wide by GreenSaver, but we represent, we're representatives of Save-On Energy, and we actually see the process through from beginning to end um, and help deliver it across Ontario. So it's it's a fantastic program, and and one of the reasons uh, for delivering uh, the EAP program is ultimately utility bill saving um, to help save on energy and to help build a little bit more of a home comfort. Okay. Uh, One of the struggles that uh, people are facing across Ontario regarding their energy bills. Yeah, so, I mean, it's just that. It's that utility bills are quite high, um, and it's really hard to keep up uh, with, with payments, you know, for example, COVID um, has heavily impacted a lot of people's lives and, and actually, you know, hyped up a lot of people's utility bills through um, through the lockdown. There's a lot of people staying home now um, due to loss of jobs or or just because of the lockdowns in general. And it, it's really hiking people's utility bills up because they're using a lot more energy within the home at those times. Um, you know, loss of jobs, salary cuts, uh, you know, during COVID also means that money is tight, um, and, and, it's, and, and the main, one of the hardest things is to be able to pay those, make those payments on the utility bills. So it's definitely become uh, quite a burden, but that's what's the great thing about um, about our program, is about the EAP program, is that it can alleviate those pressures. Uh, and-
And uh, what are some reasons that uh, energy bills are high for Ontarians? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's, there's a bunch of factors as to why, why, you know, people's utility bills can increase. But some of the factors are, you know, they may have uh, appliances and, and measures within their homes that are uh, old and inefficient and consuming a lot of energy. For example, you know, if they have, um, if they're, if they have refrigerators or window air conditioners or freezers, humidifiers that are not Energy Star certified, um, they may be consuming quite a bit of energy in their home, um, and that might be, you know, really you know, raising their utility bills quite high. Um, you know, another factor is they may not be using um, LED light bulbs um, within their home, which which actually adds to, you know, an increase in their utility bills. Um, you know, other factors are maybe they have a poor insulation and draft proofing in many homes, especially older homes where the building codes were not as um, as energy focused, right? So there's just a number of factors as to why uh, utility bills can really, really be um, quite high. Um, and, and that's the great thing about the Save on Energy Energy Affordability Program is that um, it caters to helping people save on their utility bills and, and live a more comfortable lifestyle. Okay. Do you find that um, Ontario has higher um, utility bills than uh, other provinces across the country? You know, I, I really couldn't say, but I, I would say based on um, based on the, the population, I would say that there is a higher um, a higher increase for sure of uh, utility bills, uh, higher utility bills in Ontario. Um, you know. I, I don't really have the, the numbers for that or the information for that, but I, I just based on the population and the, the, the density of people in Ontario, I would say so. Um, and it's and it's something that um, can definitely be handled. There's so many programs out there, um, but Save on Energy Energy Affordability Program is definitely one that can help, and it's designed to help income eligible customers, you know, help reduce their energy costs and and, and increase the comfort of their homes right. by providing Terrific. Yeah. And uh, so, what is the Save on Energy Energy uh, Affordability Program? Yeah. So it's it's just that it's 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 designed to um, help income eligible customers reduce their energy costs, right, uh, and increase their overall comfort. And what it does is um, it, it provides. It, so if they qualify for the Save on Energy Program, um, they they can potentially receive some upgrades within their homes. Um, that will help them decrease the utility costs. Um, and now the fantastic thing is, you know, prior to January 4th, um, it used to be called the Home Assistance Program, which a lot of people might uh, recognize uh, that, that program. But January 4th, uh, effective January 4th, the program has actually evolved into the Energy Affordability Program, where now there's two levels of support. So there's comprehensive support, which was very similar to the Home Assistance Program. The only thing that's changed for that is that the eligibility has actually increased, allowing for a lot more people to qualify for this level of support. And now they've added a second level of support called the Energy Saving Kit, which is amazing. So for anyone who doesn't qualify for comprehensive support because they're not income eligible or or um, they're not receiving certain government benefits that they can qualify for that level, they may qualify for the Energy Saving Kit, where they'll receive up 
um, and that will help them to ultimately maximize the utility bill savings. So it's quite it's quite amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, do they have to do the installation themselves? So for the energy saving kit, if they receive that, um, they'll receive uh, they can potentially receive certain upgrades. And if they receive that kit, then they they will have to install it um, in the home themselves. But they are very easy to install and. The fantastic thing about that is inside these energy savings kits comes um, instruction on how to implement them within the home. Oh. And not only that, it also comes with um, um, tips on how to maximize the utility bill savings. So, so material and educational material to help them um, save and to help them use these upgrades most effectively. And, and the great thing about the comprehensive support level uh, to this program is that an energy expert can come into the world, come into the home, and they'll they'll do an assessment of the home and identify opportunities in the home where they can receive these upgrades. So they can potentially receive anything from you know LED light bulbs, faucet aerators, a closed drying line, um, power bar with a timer, all the way to uh, potentially receiving appliances, uh, Energy Star certified appliances in the home if they don't already have them. So um, anything from a um, you know refrigerator to a window air conditioner, freezer, uh, a dehumidifier, and if their home is electrically heated, they may also be eligible for weatherization and draft proofing uh, in the home. So mm. Really, really fantastic stuff to ultimately help them um, decrease their utility bills. So as far as all the appliances go that you mentioned, uh, that would be really great for uh, apartment dwellers, wouldn't it? Yeah, definitely. And, and again, it's, it's only if they don't already have them and if they fit within the criteria for, for, that, for that level of support. So, you know, if they're, if, if they're like, you know, we look at the year-make model and how much energy is being consumed from these appliances, and if it fits the criteria, they just may be eligible for a brand new Energy Star certified appliances. So it's some really, really fantastic stuff. Wow. Definitely, that, yeah. That might be something I have to check out myself. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And it's very, very easy to apply, and, and we'll get to that in just a bit. But um, just to also mention, for, for the comprehensive support side, if they're receiving any government benefits like Ontario Works, OESP, ODSP, um, um, Healthy Smiles Ontario, Ontario Job Child Dental Program, uh, the LEAP Grant Recipient Program, Allowance for the Senior, Allowance for the Survivor. If they receive any of those government benefits, um, they automatically qualify for the comprehensive support side. So the eligibility for that is, is, um, is quite great. Yeah, that's really good. And so how can people qualify for uh, the Energy Affordability Program? Yeah, so what so that's pretty much how. So, they, so if they're income eligible, um, we, we look at their income uh, either for comprehensive support or the energy saving kit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we look at the government benefits, like if they receive Ontario Works, OESP, ODSP, um, the LEAP grant recipient program, allowance for the survivor, um, and or allowance for the senior, any of those government benefits, uh, they, they, they automatically can qualify for comprehensive support. But if they're not quite income eligible for comprehensive support, they may be eligible for the energy saving kit. Mm-hmm. Also, I want to mention that, you know, as far as their housing status, um, if they own, rent, lease, or live in social or nonprofit housing, you may still be eligible to qualify. So we, we want 
to ensure that you call in um, and, and ask questions, that we have a, a fantastic program service provider support team um, that is so helpful and, and can easily help you enroll in the program, and they'll answer any and all questions you may have. And um, that number is one 591 and you can directly speak to one of the program service provider support team members, or www.saveonenergy.ca slash EAP and you can get the enrollment process started um, online as well. Okay. Maybe what I'll do is I'll get you to repeat that, both the phone number and the uh, website again. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the number to call to start the enrollment process with one of our program service provider support members uh, is one or they can visit www.saveonenergy.ca slash EAP and you can get the enrollment process started. It's such a smooth process. Um, you know, when you, when you talk to one of our program support team members, they're so fantastic. They walk you through the process um, very easily um, and they'll be able to answer, again, any and all questions you may have. They've been run, run They've run, been run by so many scenarios as well, and they'd be the perfect people to ask uh, any questions that you have about the program um, and, and get that level of support. So some really fantastic stuff here. Okay. Um, before they make the phone call, should people look on their appliances, for example, for a particular stamp or something that says, says uh, energy saving or something? Um, so that, that is something that our, um, our energy experts will do, actually. Green, Green Saver and Save on Energy will actually take care of all of that, right? Um, if you, but if, if you're unsure that if you qualify or not, it doesn't hurt to give, give us a call and, and find out, you know, especially during COVID, there's so many exceptions now to, to that rule. So <laughs> give us a call again at one 855 and and, you know, let us know. Talk to us. Let us know what your scenario is, what your situation is, and, and we, can, we can definitely help you with that. Okay, that's terrific. Is there anything else that I should be asking you, Michael? I, I think this is great. I, I want to thank you for giving us the opportunity to, um, to speak about the program. Um, you know, it, it's a fantastic program. You know, just last year we managed to help over, over 12,000 families and individuals through the program and see some fantastic results. Um, you know, I myself have had family members enroll in the program and, and have actually seen the, the results from it. Um, so, so, you know, I'm definitely passionate about it, and I know that we can help so many people across Ontario, especially during COVID, during these times. There's, there's a lot of burdens on people's lives, and this can kind of alleviate those pressures. That would uh, make people oh, really happy. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for uh, chatting with me, Michael, and um, I'm going to uh, hang on to this interview because every once in a while I dig back into the archives, and uh, this will be worth playing every once in a while again. Amazing, Devin, and thank you for having us uh, uh, representing Save on Energy. Um, and again, you know, if, you're, if you want to call... Call one eight five 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 nine one zero eight seven seven, or again you can visit www.saveonenergy.ca. 
ACA uh, slash EAP for more information about the program. Um, thank you for having us, Devin. You've been fantastic, and I uh, hope everyone is doing well and staying safe. And you too, Michael. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Devin. Take good care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, folks, I did it again. People with glaucoma will think that I have something in for them or whatever. But for the past two years, I've been late in bringing our focus to Glaucoma Awareness Week. So this year, that week was near the beginning of March, and here we are past the middle of the month. But I figure it's still not too late to bring the information to you that we have. Two years ago, Maureen Summers, who is the vision uh, rehabilitation, sorry, no, the low vision therapist at our local CNIB office, um, who works for vision, uh, low vision rehab, uh, Ontario, which is a wing of the CNIB, chatted with us about, um, glaucoma and, uh, the consequences of not getting it treated when it should be. And so I'm going to take this opportunity to play that. This was from uh, originally from March 22nd, 2019. So here's my chat with Maureen Summers. So hi, Maureen, and welcome to the program. Thank you, Devin. Thank you for inviting me. So before we get um, talking about uh, glaucoma specifically, what is... Uh, vision loss rehab. Well, uh, vision loss rehab, which is part of CNIB, as you know, was established exactly a year ago, so it's our birthday, really. It's CNIB's rehab services, still very much, we're still very much together. We're an independent healthcare service funded by the Ontario government, the province's uh, leading provider of rehab services for people with vision loss. We provide training uh, to people with vision loss by certified therapists who, um, and of course these people that need our help are blind or partially sighted, and this is to help them develop skills to enhance independence. Our, um, we work closely with ophthalmologists, optometrists, and other healthcare uh, professionals. And as you know, Devin, we have our low vision, like myself, learning to use the sight that uh, people have the best way they can, whether it's in low vision, daily living, or travel and mobility, and also, of course, services for children and families. So quite a wide range there, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yes. And what, uh, um, what are the different services that CNIB offers as opposed to uh, vision loss rehabilitation? Well, that, oh, other than that, well, that would be CNIB, um, and that's more um, the foundation and uh, peer support, as you know, is a big one, isn't it? It sure is. Yeah, and the, the library and, um, oh, you know, our, what, 
other groups are there? You Employment? Know, fundraising, I mean, is a oh, big yeah. one, you know, that things go on. So, uh, and just general research and uh, helping people out in the community. So there's, a, there's certainly a lot going on. And does the employment uh, fit under CNIB or employment council? At, at the moment, at least, they're under vision loss rehab. Um, not many offices or areas have a, an employment service, and as you know, here in Peterborough, we do. Um, but that, at the moment, there, and as far as I know, indefinitely they're under vision loss rehab. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, I just thought we should get that kind of straightened out uh, for people. Yes, because many people want that help. Yes. Now, um, as I was mentioning, um, March tenth uh, to sixteenth, we're a wee bit late, but anyway, is uh, Glaucoma Awareness Week. I think any time is a good time to uh, be aware of these things. Yes. So, what is glaucoma? Well. Um Really, for this talk, I'm going to refer mostly to the primary open angle glaucoma. That's the most common one, and that's the one which is it's a painful a pain sorry a painless condition, usually associated with high pressure in the eye, which results in optic nerve uh, vision loss, optic nerve damage, and vision loss. So uh, anyone with this does, really does not know they have it. They've got no symptoms, no changes of vision. And if it's just left to go, if, these, uh, if people don't go for regular eye checks, it would not be picked up. And quite often, I mean, when I've seen someone, they have described to me that, you know, they, they're driving, even walking, crossing the road, and they're doing the usual look left, right, left. And they go to go, and where did that car come from? Because they've already lost peripheral vision, because that's where the vision loss starts in the peripheral field. And um, they have not noticed they have, you know, developed this and already have vision loss. So um, that's the main one. Normal uh, eye pressure is, you know, I'll give you a figure between 12 and 21. You can be higher than this and no signs of any glaucoma in the eye because the signs of glaucoma are not just pressure. It's um, the, the, the optic nerve head, the, you know, at the beginning at the back of the eye where the optic nerve leaves the eye to go back to the brain. Right. Uh, there's changes there and also a visual field test would show changes. But there's also elevated pressure that would just be, I think it would be called ocular hypertension, where there's no signs of glaucoma, but they're just being watched, you know, for that pressure and having baseline tests done, and then maybe every couple of years seeing if there is a, a, a change. Um, so glaucoma happens when the drainage of fluid from the eye, you know, the eyeball is a firm ball. Yeah. Flabby, like a you know a, a burst balloon, it keeps a certain structure, and the the drainage is blocked for some reason, and the pressure can build up, and that's you know there could be other reasons um, that that would happen, but that's um, that's primarily the reason for it. Okay, and do we know any of the causes or reasons why this happens? Well, I mean. The, I looked into that. I mean, I know age, like on many of these eye conditions, is, is one reason. Um, you know, after you know a, a certain age, usually 60s, 
happen to them. Uh, there is uh, certain ethnicities can develop this. Uh, people from the African nations, uh, or you know, for, you know, way back, you know, African Americans, mm -hmm. they are more prone to that. And I think even Hispanic as well. Um, other, you know, just your general health in the way of, say, blood pressure, diabetes can be more at risk for this. Uh, so those kind of things. Uh. But not really, you know, it's not family history, definitely, could be, you know, something to say, you're going to say to your eye doctor, there's a family history of this, so I want to be watched carefully for this and have those baseline tests. Right. Okay. Never having had a, a baseline test because it wouldn't do me any good. Uh, are, are they painless? Oh, yes. That would be me measuring your pressure, and that's quite painless. That's where you s sit at that slit lamp, and there's a little blue light, and you've had a little freezing drop in it. It just touches the cornea, the front of the eye, and takes the pressure. They would also, you know, when they, you probably heard when they dilate the, the pupils to yeah. the back of the eye, and that will give a good view of the optic nerve head and also the visual field where you sit at a, a, a machine. Each eye is done separately. You're looking straight ahead all the time. And every time a light flashes in your periphery, you're pressing a button to say you've seen it. And uh, that will show if there's any missing areas for you. Okay. Yeah. How common is glaucoma here in Canada? Sure. That's really important. Because it could affect the rest of your life. happens to seniors. Can it occur in people younger as well? Mm -hmm. 
And uh, so the only way that someone would know that they have glaucoma or uh, might be suspicious that something was wrong would be the loss of uh, uh, peripheral vision? By then it's advanced. I read another study um, stating that more than half of newly diagnosed patients with glaucoma already had moderate to advanced disease at the time of this initial diagnosis. Oh my. Isn't that amazing? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, so nothing happens much before then that would kind well, of... Because it just slowly, slowly do that because there's no, there's no um, symptoms. There's no. no there's nothing. There really is nothing. It's, it's hard to believe, isn't it? It sure is. Yeah. Um, I know when I, I've seen people, you know, I've always worked in eye field and, you know, when you check their vision at, right at the beginning and you're, this would be more clinically and you're asking them to cover one eye and they, they kind of are surprised. They said, I can't see anything out of that eye. Oh, dear. Didn't even notice that that was the case. Or, oh, wow. So the difference between the two eyes is Seriously, can the uh, disease affect someone's vision? Well, end-stage glaucoma, you would have very little at the end, very little. It starts encroaching on the central vision. Um, you know, it's like any, it's like, unlike any other affliction, it usually causes no pain, discomfort, apparent vision loss. Central vision remains good, and that person's not aware, but as it goes on, it starts encroaching on that central vision. It starts up above, like a little arc, if you're doing that visual field, just above the central zone, and then it, it's kind of following the, the blood supply, I guess, at the back of the eye, and then it encroaches. Um, so it definitely can be eventual, really no vision, certainly legally blind. There's no doubt about that, and legal blindness isn't just your central vision, it's your visual field. So if you're just a tunnel vision, that would be termed legally blind. Right. Yeah. Is, yeah. So what are the usual courses of treatment when someone uh, finds out that they have glaucoma? What what uh, will they do? Well, the doctor, of course, be assessed and it would be dropped and drops usually are, are very successful. Some people are not com compliant with their medications and drops probably more than just put taking a pill um, and you know there is laser uh, the laser is there's a trabeculoplasty and a trabeculectomy one is a little bit different from one another the, the, the latter one is more of a surgery with it but um, you know if that, if that has to happen I'm not saying you know you really want the drops to work and, and, and use it that way but the, you know people can be allergic to things and it's just not working as well as it did. So there is there is laser and there is um, surgery as well. And can glaucoma be fairly well controlled with that, or will it advance anyway? No, it can. If you're catching it and you're doing everything you're asked to do, it can be quite well controlled, actually. Um, That's good. The, yeah, I mean, it, it, it absolutely is. Uh, I think, you know, if you've had it for, the way I understand if you've had it for many, many years, I was actually just speaking with a gentleman today who is 95. He's had that or diagnosed 40 years ago. Really? Yes, and yeah. he he um, is quite, end, you know, end stage. And I am no doubt that this gentleman was very 
clients. So, you know, it's, it's hard to say, really. Yes. And, you know, that's maybe more clinically to answer that. I mean, I have been looking at studies, but the whole, I, the whole thing is said is, you know, really, uh, it's, it's a leading cause of, they actually call it preventable blindness. Oh. oh. I was thinking about that. I uh, thinking, well, how is it? But I guess it is. If you go for your eye exams and this was caught early, it really would be preventable because if, if it's already at the blindness stage, then clearly it was preventable. Yes. You know, and um, it's called the, the sneak thief of sight because there's just no symptoms with it. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's good to go and get a... Um... Absolutely. I can't stress that. Yes. Um, yeah. How often should someone go for an eye exam? Everything is fine. They might say come back in two years. Uh-huh. But um, obviously if you're having treatment, but yes, definitely every two years you should be going. Oh. And that's obviously if you're being treated for something, that's a whole different thing. There is, I did mention, there is an, it's called acute glaucoma onset. Totally different type of thing. It's obviously where the, the drainage is blocked, you know, very suddenly. Yeah. controlling it. Controlling it from advancing. Yes. Slowing it down, yeah. Now, when we talk about going to an eye doctor, uh, are we talking uh, optometrist or ophthalmologist? The optometrist, perfectly, perfect. They've got everything. They're very qualified. And um, absolutely, if they feel that you need to see an ophthalmologist for treatment or opinion, then they will refer you on. Okay. glaucoma has advanced, um, how can uh, vision loss rehab be of assistance? Side to side, yes. Side and in front of you tripping over something. Yeah. Uh, usually, you know, I'm the one that deals with more magnification devices and that sort of thing. So usually not me. At the end stage, definitely well before then I would be seeing people. They don't usually want what we call, say, um, a lot of magnification. Because if you think about it, if they only have a, a relatively 
blind because it's going to magnify into their blind spot. Uh-huh. So I, I would talk to them about, you know, good lighting, properly positioned lighting, nice contrast, you know, so they can see things that, um, you know, even if it's food on their plate, they've not got a piece of white fish on a white plate. They're yeah. just not going to see that easily. Um, good contrast. Uh, our independent living skills would be just, you know, things around the home to remain independent. Could be computer uses, as you know. You're a whiz on the computer. <laughs> So, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, all, all those things to just remain independent. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Now, is there anything else that I should have been asking you? Oh, really? You're, yeah, you, put that, you gave me a wee heads up on that. There was nothing else I could really think about. I just want to uh, repeat, get your eyes checked. Yes. You know, and don't, you know, absolutely get them checked. It's a lovely feeling when you've had you know, some kind of test and you were worried because you didn't want to know anything bad. That's <laughs> right. Not know. And uh, it's just a lovely feeling coming out and saying everything is fine and I will go back in two years, you yeah. know. So, and we have wonderful optometrists in town here, so, and very, you know, welcoming ophthalmologists if they need to be seen. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, making us aware of uh, of glaucoma and how it can affect a person's life uh, quite considerably if they don't look after their eye health. Yes, you know, it is unlike any of the other eye diseases where you have symptoms. It's, it's quite unusual, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. Yes. Yeah. Well, hopefully uh, people will remember that and uh, make uh, an appointment with their optometrist. I hope so. I hope those phones are ringing right now. I do too. (laughs) Thanks so much, Maureen. Thank you so much, Devin. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye now. Bye. On Wednesday of this past week, Royal Assent was given to Bill C-7, the piece of legislation dealing with medical aid in dying. Uh, The next day, the Toronto Star published an article, and here it is. And I'll apologize in advance for recording quality that goes uh, a little bit wanting, I think. If there's anyone out there who wants to read the odd item like this, Perhaps you could give me, uh, send me an email at insightpeterborough at gmail.com. That's insightpeterborough at gmail.com. But here's the article. Assisted dying bill passes in Senate. Passage of revamped law follows lengthy debate over possible exclusions by Jacques Gallin, Toronto Star, March 18. 2021. More Canadians will now have access to medical assistance in dying. The federal government's Bill C-7, which revamps the country's assisted dying regime, received royal assent and became law after the Senate signaled its agreement Wednesday with the House of Commons on the contents of the bill. This law will respect the autonomy of Canadians while protecting the vulnerable, tweeted Justice Minister David Lametti after the Senate vote. The bill's passage follows more than a year of bitter debate over medical assistance in dying MID in Canada. Some have argued the government
Government's previous MID law did not go far enough and excluded too many people. While others have strenuously denounced C7 as going too far and sending the message that the lives of people with disabilities have less value. One of the main concerns, some say, is people with disabilities will be pushed towards seeking MID due to a chronic lack of support. Bill C7 is a direct response to a 2019 Quebec Superior Court decision that struck down as unconstitutional part of Ottawa's previous MID law, which said only individuals whose natural deaths were reasonably foreseeable were eligible. The bill now provides a separate pathway for individuals whose deaths are not reasonably foreseeable to access MID. The government was staring down the court-ordered March 26th deadline extended four times by Quebec judges to pass the bill. C-7 was subjected to a back-and-forth between the Commons and the Senate after the upper chamber proposed amendments. The current version contains some significant changes compared to what was first presented by the government after the Liberals accepted but modified some of the Senate amendments. There were 5,631 medically assisted deaths in Canada in 2019, representing 2% of all deaths and a 26% increase over such cases in 2018, according to the country's first annual report on the practice. Who is eligible now? Individuals whose deaths are reasonably foreseeable will continue to be eligible. The bill now opens the door to individuals whose deaths are not reasonably foreseeable but who meet other MID eligibility criteria, including having a serious and incurable disease, illness or disability, being in an advanced state of decline and suffering intolerably. The bill includes a new track with requirements for these individuals, chief among them, a minimum 90-day period between the person's first assessment for MID and the day on which the MID procedure is carried out. Bill C-7 stipulates that the individual must undergo two MID eligibility assessments by two different medical practitioners. The individual must sign their request for MID before an independent witness and must be informed of the means available to relieve their suffering, which can include counseling, mental health and disability support services and palliative care. The person can withdraw their request at any time. The Council of Canadians with Disabilities argues the bill targets people with disabilities and will have an especially negative effect on marginalized groups, said the Council's Government Relations Coordinator, Joelle Smith. A concern, she said, is that MID will be available to people with disabilities while a chronic lack of appropriate supports and services continues for many of them. For many people, when they are newly disabled, there's a period of time to adjust. Your whole life changes, Smith said. Now, instead of connecting with mentors, particularly someone with a disability who can be supportive, people might decide it's better to end their life because they haven't yet been able to imagine the amazing lives we all live with disabilities. The president of the Canadian Association of MID Assessors and Providers said she agrees there are not enough supports for people with disabilities, but disagrees that the bill will push people toward MID. It is always the job of a clinician to assess not just capacity to make this request, which is an important part of what we do, but also to assess vulnerability in our patient, and it's something we take very, very seriously, and we take our time to do properly, said Dr. Stephanie Green. She said by removing the condition that the person's death be reasonably foreseeable, the government has moved the MID regime closer to the framework set out by the Supreme Court of Canada in the landmark Carter decision in 2015, which struck down the country's ban on assisted death. The top court never stipulated reasonably foreseeable death as a condition to access MID. The Canadian model was never intended to be a strictly end-of-life regime, she said. It's more centered on the criteria of patient suffering, who is eligible later. Bill C-7 also opens the door in at least two years to individuals seeking MID solely on the basis of a mental disorder. The bill initially barred these individuals from accessing MID, with the government saying the issue needed to 
be studied further, but it ultimately agreed with the Senate amendment to establish a sunset clause in the bill, giving governments and medical bodies time to come up with guidelines and safeguards. The Senate had proposed an 18-month deadline, which the government extended to two years. Some experts and parliamentarians argued the outright ban was likely unconstitutional, as it excluded a group of individuals. For the majority of people in a mental health crisis, it's a temporary situation, and this is a permanent solution, Smith said, again pointing to a chronic lack of supports including not getting access to medication, psychiatric support and counseling, even for mental health disorders that are permanent. Smith said that should not be an option. This just pushes further into a corner people who are already incredibly vulnerable in our community going through something that is supportable, she said. Psychiatrists remain divided on whether MID solely on the basis of a mental illness can ever be carried out safely. Some have argued it would only apply to a very small number of individuals who have lived with their illness for a prolonged period of time and have undergone a number of different treatments. Who remains ineligible? Advance requests for MID remain prohibited. This would include individuals who don't currently meet the eligibility criteria but who want to make their request now for fear of losing capacity to make such a decision later. A topic of advocacy among some people with dementia. Senator Pamela Wallen proposed an amendment to C-7 that would have allowed for advance requests, but it was shot down by the government, saying that issue goes beyond the scope of the bill and should be studied in a parliamentary review. That review by a joint House of Commons Senate committee will kick off within 30 days of C-7 becoming law and to report back in one year. To finish off this edition of Insight Peterborough, I'm going to play or replay an interview that I did with Aisha Barmania and the Audio Craft Festival that we talk about is coming up this week. And Aisha will do a much better job of telling you what's coming up in the festival than I will. So here's that interview one more time. Hi there, Aisha, and welcome back to the program. Hi, thanks for having me, Devin. So first of all, before we get talking about the AudioCraft Festival, um, I mentioned that, or I will mention, that you're the uh, managing director, I think you said, of um, Peterborough Independent Podcasters. Have I got the title right? Yeah, that's right. Um, could also call me the founder. Um, right, <laughs> yes. So, so can you tell me a little bit about PIP and what it's all about? Sure. So PIP is a not-for-profit that um, basically exists to help support local podcasters um, in the Peterborough area, but we also have some folks who are from across Ontario. Um, but basically we're a volunteer organization um, that helps to mentor, educate, um, and just overall answer any kind of questions that folks might have about podcasting and um, do some skill sharing and just what we can do to support folks. So we're a membership organization, so PIP has a membership of local podcasters, um, and you can find them all in our uh, creators directory if you're ever curious to find local podcasts. And, um, yeah, we also host podcasts, so some folks uh, have their podcasts hosted with us. Okay. That's in a nutshell. And where would people go if they wanted to check it out? Sure, that's uh, ptbopodcasters.ca. Okay, that's fairly uh, direct and straightforward. That sounds good. So have you found that your activities have been somewhat 
less than what they used to be thanks to the pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of what we uh, of our activities before the pandemic were in-person workshops, like we would do podcasting 101, or we'd go into different libraries or organizations and things and just do kind of podcast uh, workshops for folks. Um, but obviously, since the pandemic has closed a lot of spaces and um, we're all discouraged from, you know, gathering, um, that's curtailed a lot of that. So part of what we've been doing since last March is just figuring out how do we want to move uh, our operations online. And so we've kept up a lot of our mentorship um, just through email and um, office hours is a program we run where folks can drop in and ask questions. We've moved that stuff all online, but a lot of our educational activities have um, haven't been able to, haven't we haven't adapted yet to online uh, until we, we started organizing this festival. Mm-hmm. So tell me what the festival is is all about. Sure. So it's the the first time we're ever running it, but it's basically a, a skill sharing series of events um, geared at hobbyists, um, enthusiasts. Um, uh, some, some experts, some people who have been in the industry for a long time, uh, who are doing podcasting or community radio, uh, trying to get independent creators to share skills at whatever kind of level they're at. So we're we're making this like a not not necessarily um, a, a workshop series where you'll hear from experts, but you'll hear a lot of expertise from folks who are working in the area as hobbyists or as independent producers. Um, so we've got a lineup of. Uh, Ten presentations uh, happening the week of March 22nd, uh, and they're all indie podcasters, indie radio makers who are going to share some part of their craft um, for the audience in an online webinar. Is it okay to ask what some of the who some of the people are that will be sharing their skills? Yeah, sure. So um, we have a local podcaster and radio maker named Devin Wilkins. <laughs> Uh, like 
like Stephen Stamp and Carrie Jane McMasters. Uh, so Stephen Stamp does a show all about lacrosse in North America, and uh, he also makes a show with his partner, Carrie Jane, and, uh, and that show is called The Bluebird Sessions, uh, which is all about local music in Peterborough. Uh, so they're going to show us their recording setup and um, how they do that on the fly. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm doing this all off the top of my head, actually. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe that, I'll, I'll leave that as a, as a treat. I apologize to whoever I'm forgetting <laughs> from the actual lineup. But, um, yeah, that, that's most of the presentations we're going to be having throughout that week in March 22nd. All right. Well, sounds like a, a really good lineup there. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm working with folks to try and get a good like representation of different kind of podcasting or audio production skills. So uh, there's going to be a mix of folks talking about interviewing skills, editing skills, recording skills. Um, yeah, and uh, so uh, nothing's going to be the definitive way on how to do anything, but I, I hope folks can attend and pick up some tools or pick up some knowledge on like how they might be able to approach. Shows. Right. Okay. Now, will this these presentations be uh, one a day or two a day, or how how does one um, make sure that that uh, none are missed? Yeah. So uh, the full schedule is going up on our website this week, and it'll also be up on Facebook and going out to um, event publication kind of places. Um, mostly, they're shaking it to one a day. And uh, they're kind of scheduled in throughout the day, morning, afternoon, and evening. Um, so you'll want to check the schedule to, to see what times are, are down there. And, um, and yeah, so we're going to have – they're all going to be uh, hosted on Zoom webinars. So you'll be able to uh, sign up on our website, uh, and you'll get notifications on when it's coming up. Uh, and so joining the webinar will get you access to ask questions or send in comments and just – generally participate, uh, but we'll also have a, a, a live stream available on YouTube uh, if you just want to tune in or catch the webinars after the fact. And, uh, yeah, so that'll be on our YouTube, Peterborough Independent Podcasters. Yeah, okay. That'll be great. And uh, is there a, a fee to uh, be involved with this? No. So thanks to uh, a couple grants that we've received. So we've received funding and maybe I'll just shout out our, our grant, the grants we've received from Rising Youth Community Service Grants and the City of Peterborough Community Projects Grants. Um, so we're able to offer the event series for free, thanks to them. All right, that's great. So uh, March 22nd, that's a Monday. Yes, so all throughout the week, starting on March 22nd, going to the Saturday. All right, terrific. <laughs> uh, Anything else uh, that, uh, about the festival that I should have been asking you? Um, I don't think so. I, I think it's going to be a great time and a, a great time. I'm, I'm looking forward to learning a lot from our members as well. So, um, yeah, I hope people can uh, come check it out. All right. Well, um, have a, a great uh, week of March 22nd, and it'll be spring by that time officially. Yeah, that'll be great. <laughs> so hopefully people will, uh, if it's a nice day, you'll be able to take your um, computer outside, whether it's a laptop or a, uh, either an iPhone or an Android. And uh, if not, you can enjoy it 
uh, from the uh, where it's nice and warm. Exactly. Yeah, sounds good. Well, thanks for having me today, Devin. I really appreciate it. Okay, Aisha. Thanks so much. Thanks. Bye-bye. That will do it for this week. I hope you'll join me for the last Monday of March next week. Until then, thanks so much for listening. Bye for now, and enjoy the AudioCraft Festival. <laughs>